This is Leewood Online, a ministry of Leewood Baptist Church, located in the Kansas City area. For more information about us, visit us online at www.leewoodbaptist.com. Good morning. My name is Adam Carter. I'm one of the pastors here at Leewood Baptist Church, and as you hopefully know, uh, last week during the 9.30 uh, hour, our interim pastor, Steve Dighton, and myself shared an, an exciting opportunity for our church family, where Chris McGee would come and be the lead pastor, and then I would move into a number two position to the associate pastor role. I'm excited about this opportunity to serve alongside Chris. An email um, was sent out, uh, sent out this past Monday about this as well. And then this morning, uh, before our worship gathering, we had an opportunity to hear from Chris. Uh, we had a little bit of question and answer time, and then we'll do that again on Wednesday evening at 6.30 in the Fellowship Hall. And so we'll get to hear from him during that time again of Q&A. Then a week from today, following our worship gathering, we will vote on Chris as lead pastor and myself as associate pastor. And I'm excited about this uh, opportunity our church has to go into the future. So this morning we have the awesome opportunity to have Chris preach, and the passage that he will be sharing is Colossians 3 verses 1 through 17. It says this, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. But put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self, self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as Christ has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything. Together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, 
singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. God in heaven, we praise you for being God and for calling us as your people. Father, as your people, give us the grace to be able to put on Christ so that we can reflect your glory to the Lord around us. We ask that the peace of Christ would roll in our hearts and that, you would, and that you, your word would dwell in us. We pray now as Christ, uh, Chris comes to share your word with us that you would speak to us, change us to be more like Jesus. And it's his name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you, brother. Hey, good morning, Leewood Baptist Church. Um, love your pastor. Hey, I'm excited to be here with you and honored to stand kind of in this place. Um, thanks for welcoming us so far. Um, as I've gotten to know a couple of you and I've asked kind of what do you love about this church, what keeps coming back is it's the people, it's the people, it's how much the people love each other. And uh, I've certainly experienced that in the last couple of uh, weeks as we've had some conversations. And so I just want to say, want to say thank you. Um, we have a couple things going on this morning, right? So we have, I think it's the first time Adam's been in this space um, so that's a big moment. I'm going to honor that moment. Um, it's a moment where we come to gather around God's word to hear a sermon, regardless of context or what's happening outside these walls, what's happening in our world, what's happening in our hearts. We've got to hear who God is and what he's like. So we come to hear like a real sermon. <laughs> and there's this strange beauty pageant job interview thing going on as well. So you have this like checking me out and I'm checking you out and the whole thing. And so that's also happening. So if we could just acknowledge that's a lot in one room uh, for a handful of people to hold together for the next 30 or 40 minutes. So I just want to acknowledge that and say thanks for standing in that place. Um, maybe just naming it would help us a little bit to carry some of the tension that, that we feel in that spot. And then we could ask Christ to come and meet us and encounter us. I want to pray for us again in a second, but maybe just do a little bit of introductions. Um, I'd love for you to kind of meet my family. So um, they don't always dress like ninjas and bandits. Um, they actually have full faces. So I think there's a picture of them. This is uh, the last one on my iPhone that I had. So that's my family. Um, Ada and I have been married 21 years. Uh, we met in high school. Um, she is amazing. Um, so uh, eager, if the Lord wills, for you to get to know her better in the future. Our two kids, Elizabeth is 16. She's a junior at Shawnee Mission South. And Lucas is 14. He's an eighth grader at Indian Woods. Um, I'm learning as they get older, they don't like me to talk about them very much, uh, but they are amazing kids, and we love parenting teenagers. So uh, again, Lord willing, you'll get a chance to get to know them a little bit better. Um, so that's my family. Um, they would love to get to know you and hear your stories and share some more with you, but they're, they're up here in the front. So as we gather, um, again, we've got this kind of job interview thing happening. We've got a real sermon happening, and, and my hope is actually to preach in such a way this morning that you get a sense of who I am. Uh, you get a sense of what matters to me. I want to actually use this passage to exalt Jesus because that's what matters most to me. Paul opens up the book of Colossians and he says that Christ is the preeminent one. He's the one that everything exists for and from. He holds it all together. And so Paul starts that way and then he moves on through the book of Colossians to give instructions to Christians of, hey, if that's true, then how do you actually live your life? If Christ really is preeminent, then how do you live? And so kind of taking Paul's cue there, I want to put in front of us together as a church, Christ is preeminent. 
He's the senior pastor of this church. He loves you. He knows what this church needs. He's the one who ordains all of our stories. He, he is for you and he is with you. This is all really about him. So we can take a deep breath and relax. Whatever the future holds, Jesus will be on his throne. He'll be in charge. He will be good. He'll be trustworthy. And he didn't just say those things to us. He actually demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ actually died for us. So we have a ton of peace and rest. Paul would tell us at the beginning of Colossians. And then he says that actually changes how you live. It has something to do with what Christ is aiming at inside your hearts, right? So if Jesus is real, I would say this, that Jesus changes everything. That's what I want you to hear this morning. Jesus is real and he changes everything. And if he changes everything, then we should stop and ask, how does he change everything? And how do we participate with him in what he's doing? So what I really want to talk about this morning is transformation, I want to talk about how do we actually encounter the risen Christ in a way that changes us, whether we're seven years old or we're 75 years old. How do we actually grow? How do we change? How are we transformed? And I think we can walk through this passage in such a way that you'll hear that so that if nothing else, we have one more week together and I preach next week and then we never see each other again this side of eternity, that will have been edifying for all of us, right? If we exalt Christ and things don't go a certain direction or go a certain direction, we've been good for two weeks if we talked about Jesus. If we talked about me for two weeks, man, that's a waste of time. But if we talk about him for two weeks, that's a really helpful thing. But what I want to do is actually talk about him and the difference that he makes in such a way that you hear what's important to me as a pastor, that you hear that I think church gathers to actually be transformed, that we gather to exalt Christ and who he is and we encounter him and we're asking how do we align ourselves with what God has done on the cross in a way that makes a difference in our daily lives? What does it look like to be a transformed people? And so I want to use this passage. It's where I would draw like my personal ministry philosophy from. So next two weeks we're going to work through 3.1 to 4.6 of Colossians. And what I want you to see is how transformation actually happens. That's where we'll focus today. And then we'll talk about the means of grace. How do we participate with God and what he's doing? We'll talk about that next week. And then we'll talk about the contexts that we should live this transformation out in, right? Because it's not a disconnected spirituality. Paul goes on to talk about marriage and family and kind of our, our social and vocational lives and even relating to people that he would call outsiders, those who don't yet know Jesus. So, so we'll talk about if transformation is real and our lives are being changed and how do we live that out outside of this room. That, that'll be my goal in the next couple of weeks. And again, what I want to do is preach for real. <laughs> I want to actually preach a sermon, but I want to tip my hand to what I think that means for us as a people of God who should be gathering together asking how do we pursue transformation together. Does that kind of make sense? So one purpose with kind of a sidebar. A couple times I'll actually stop and say, hey, so this is what I think this means for the church. And then I'll kind of come back into that space. But what I want you to hear is that Christ changes everything. That's what we always need to hear. It's actually, I hope in this pulpit, you've always only heard one sermon. Christ is king. Christ rules and reigns. Jesus changes everything. And so I hope in the decades to come you hear one sermon, and I hope that's the sermon that you hear today. And then we'll just ask God to help make sense of what it would look like in the future if God were to bring a partnership here going forward. So, so with that, can I just pray for us again? Um, and then we'll dive into the text, and we'll ask for God to actually speak to us. So Jesus, would you come now in the space through your spirit? And would you work and would you move? Uh, pray for blessings on Adam and his son, his family. God, would you minister to him in this place through people that love him by your spirit, by your word? Would you pour out on him grace? Would you pour out on us grace? Um, thankfully, it's not a zero-sum game. You have enough for all of us. You can meet all of us with where we are. 
whatever we're dealing with, whatever we're processing, wherever we find ourselves, you actually can encounter us. So would you um, do that now in this place? Would you correct us? Would you encourage us? Would you give us hope? Would you open up our eyes? Would you get us unstuck where we've been stuck? For those in the room who wouldn't call themselves followers of Jesus, would you shine the light of Christ in such a way that they see him clearly and could come to him? So that's a lot to ask for you to do, but you are mighty, you are sovereign, you are powerful, you are good, you are loving. So we pray these things in Christ's name, believing that you want to give us good gifts this morning. And, and would you just help us with the tension of this thing? I'll just ask Holy Spirit uh, with the job interview part and the sermon part, um, would, would you help us? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, a number of years ago, um, I had a chance to sit down with some friends. They were about 20 years older than me. They've been married for about 30 years. They were in our church and just kind of a classic pastor meeting. They said, hey, we want to talk about our marriage. Can we sit down? Said, Absolutely. So we sat down together. They began to talk and kind of share their marriage story. And these were like people that you would really enjoy. They served, they gave, they were leaders in the church. They had been successful in business outside the church. The kind of folks like you want to come over for dinner and you want to hear what they have to say about things. They were, they were good people. And as they began to talk, they just told the story of how over the last 30 years, things had really eroded in their marriage. And it started small with some misunderstandings and some slights and some small insults. And now 30 years later, there was this chill in their marriage. And they avoided each other at night. And they talked about a typical Thursday night where they would kind of try to stay in different rooms. And one's watching TV and one's on the computer. And they were committed to each other, they assured me. And yet when it came to their marriage, they just felt really, really stuck. And then they kind of put that in front of me like, all right, pastor, so what do you do with that? And of course, you know, I can't just like do this and like fix everything, right? So I just began to ask some more questions. They tell me, tell me more, tell me what, what happens. Tell me about a Thursday night, what, what takes place. And they began to talk about the way they, they speak to each other. And the way there was kind of a lack of charity and maybe an assumption that there's always something behind what you're saying and wouldn't give them the benefit of the doubt at all. And they talked about stuff that happened decades before that was still haunting them, some, some resentment and some bitterness. And they, they talked about how confusing it was because they come to church, they hear about Jesus, they hear about the, the, the scriptures, they, they try to apply those, they're in small groups, and yet it didn't feel like it connected to their regular life. And so they just kind of sat back in the couch a little bit, kind of sunk back in the couch and sighed and just said, we don't know what to do. And it was one of those moments where like, I don't know what to do, right? And then there's a spot where the Holy Spirit sometimes connects some dots in your own heart that you've thought before but have never really articulated. And so there was a napkin on my coffee table and I just pulled it out and I said, well, man, I don't know exactly what you need. I'll ask you a ton more questions. We'll look at God's word together. We'll pray. But it seems to me like at least three things need to happen. And I drew three circles on this napkin. Never done this before in my life. And I drew these three circles and I put a G in one of these circles to represent the gospel. And I just said, hey, I don't know what it actually is taking place or what exactly you need, but I know the gospel of Jesus has something to do with where you are. I don't even know exactly yet how, but I know if Christ was died for us, he rose for us, he forgives us, he's coming again, that reality has some impact on how you're relating to each other. So, so we'll talk about Jesus and we'll talk about the gospel, which is kind of a throwaway right for a pastor. Of course, we're going to talk about Jesus. He's always the answer is to trust Jesus, but we have those circle here with, with the G. And then I, another circle, I just put a little horizontal line, like a little dash, like a negative sign. And I said, it sounds like there's some stuff you guys do on a regular basis that just become habit. And you're eroding trust and you're not charitable and some things that you keep doing that I think if you keep on that path, it's really going to harm you. But you don't have to keep doing those things. You could stop actually being angry and bitter and you could stop holding resentment and you could stop kind of avoiding each other. What if there were some things you could stop doing that if you stop those things, the erosion might stop as well. And then I put a little plus sign in one of those circles and I said, and I think 
There's some positive things, and I don't know what else to call it. I was like, if there's negative things on one side, there's some positive things you could probably pursue. The good news is God's word speaks to us about what it means to love and forgive. And, and you're not just limited to marriage passages, right? You don't have to just Google husbands and wives or marriage. You have the whole scripture. So whatever it says to one another commands or whatever he says in the epistles, whatever he says in Proverbs, really the whole Bible. Like God tells us what it looks like for us to actually follow him. And so, so we'll just explore, hey, how do we talk instead of what you've learned from your families, what you guys have practiced, how do we begin to talk? And, and it seemed to like really encourage them. So they're 30 years in. They feel pretty stuck. They took a massive risk. I was so proud of them just to say, hey, we are respected by everybody, and yet we feel hollow inside. Can we just be honest enough to bring that forward? I just thought that, that's a, a powerful moment by itself. And they seemed encouraged. And so we prayed and we left and said, we'll see you next week, and we'll just kind of talk. And I got in my car, and to be honest, I was encouraged. And then I had this moment like, wait a second, is that actually true? I'd never, I'd never drawn those circles before. I'd never done that. Is, that. is that actually how change happens? Is that what you offer to somebody who feels stuck? Is it really these G circle and this minus circle and this plus circle? Is that really how it happens? And, and I wonder how you would answer that. I wonder how you would tell somebody change happens or transformation happens. What, what is it that we are pursuing? And of course, it's mysterious, right? You would never say transformation is reduced down to three circles. It's no way. It's way more complicated. That's way more mysterious than that. The way love is more mysterious, right? So poets and philosophers debate, and yet you know when you're loved, or you know when you love somebody else, right? So there's this childlike encounter with something like transformation if you're looking for handholds just to say, hey, how do we actually pursue that? So it just kind of set me on this journey of like, well, man, if we're going to meet weekly, I better make sure this is actually how that works. And so I began to just read the scriptures. I began to talk to the people. I began to pray and said, is it really kind of a gospel understanding of who Christ is for us? Is it, is it repentance and stepping away from the flesh? And is it pursuing positive redemptive patterns? Is that how change actually happens? And so I thought about a passage like Titus chapter 2. If you want to flip there, you can, or I'll just read it. Titus chapter 2, I think we see those three circles, so to speak. So verse 11, he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That, that little G circle, right? The gospel, the good news of Christ has come. And then it says, And that trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. So I was like, oh my gosh, there it is. So there's the G circle and here's the minus circle, right? The gospel actually, not just is another thing, it actually is moving to train us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And it says to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the pleasant age. This kind of plus sign. So I saw in these passages, this gospel circle, this negative pattern, stepping away from the flesh, and maybe we would say even like, pursuing the spirit. And then he gets it even better. He says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave, us to, gave himself to us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So not even just for themselves and their own situation, but actually so they could be outward focused. And I thought, man, we're going to just pray and think. I thought, actually, I see this pattern in lots of places. And one of the primary places I see it is in Colossians chapter 3. I actually do think that's how we're changed. If we can allow for all the mystery, I think when we get the gospel of Jesus in front of us, we're encountered with the risen Christ. We experience what it means to be forgiven and set free. That actually invites us to be honest about the things of the flesh that we've pursued. I think that's the second paragraph in this passage. And then that actually frees us to step away from the flesh. Our repentance is going one way. It's stopping that direction and going another direction so we can actually pursue life in the spirit. And I think that's what the church is about. I think the church is about telling people there's real hope for change. That Christ actually came into our world. He died in the place. And the stuff that you're most haunted by, he came actually to free you from and to forgive you for. 
And that actually gives you the capacity to move towards repentance and to stop where you felt really stuck. And all you could do when you were building your own identity was pursue the flesh by yourself. But now you can actually pursue Jesus. And he, he offers to us another way. Uh, not just rules and regulations, right? If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, Christianity is not a new pattern of behaviors that if you do them, your life will be better and God will be pleased with you. That's not Christianity. That's some sort of religion. That's some distortion of what the scriptures say. The scriptures say you can't make your life better on your own. You're actually like a dead person or like an enemy. You're somebody who has no capacity on your own. God has to move towards you to change and transform. But when he does, it's not a fairy tale. It's real. There's real change that happens. So we're not just swapping stories about something that happened 2,000 years ago. We're actually encountering the risen Christ in ways that are changing and transforming us. I think that's what the message of the church is, right? And then not just stop doing bad things, but here's what God invites you to. Here's what the kingdom of God is about. So Jesus comes and says, repent because the kingdom of God is here. Jesus came to show us what it looks like to be related to the Father in ways that aren't tainted by sin. So the incarnation proves to us both God loves us and showed us how to actually walk with God. So I think that's what the church gathers to do. So then, of course, that's what transformation is about. If that's the main point of what God is doing, then we should step towards those things in this space. And so what I want to do today is just kind of walk through this passage in some detail, talk about this gospel centrality, this understanding of who Jesus is, invite you to consider where you feel stuck in the flesh, and then get some hope that God might actually move your heart towards his spirit and things might begin to change, right? And it's a 30-year, it's a 50-year, it's a 10-year, and it's a one-day journey. The, the power of God is powerful to change us, and he tends to have a long arc. So, so let's just look in verse 1 of chapter 3 after that introduction. Listen to what he says. He says, if then... And this is, stop for a second and go, okay, why did I say if what? So what he said right before that was, hey, there are, in verse 23, there's a, a bunch of rules that people follow that have the appearance of wisdom. Do you see that in chapter 2, 23? These things have an appearance of wisdom. They promote a self-made religion and an asceticism like a sacrifice or a severity of the body. But they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So, so here it is. Religion actually won't save you. Following rules won't save you. He just says that there's no power to those things. So, so instead of that, if then... You've been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So look with me in that passage. He talks about kind of resurrection baptism language, right? So if then you've been raised with Christ. Think about the way Paul talks in Romans chapter 6, that baptism is this portrait of being raised with Jesus. And he talks about identity. And in verse 3, it's having our lives hidden with Christ and God, covered over. This is identity language. He's saying, if you know God and your identity has shifted from someone who was an enemy and a rebel and a dead person whose heart was like stone, and now you've been reconciled to God through his son Jesus and your heart's been made alive, you have a new identity, you have a new hope, you have a new future, you have a new way of relating to God through his grace— then set your mind on things that are above. Stop and actually wrap your mind around what that would actually mean for you, right? Which tips to us that we have lots of ways that compete for our understanding of what flourishing means and how we are happy and what means success. He says, hey, set your mind on things that are above, which means we could set them on something else. So the passage confronts us with the fact that for six and a half days a week, you hear competing narratives of what would make you happy. 
what, what people around you need from you, where your identity really comes from, and it's your job, and it's your body, and it's your successes, and it's your family, and it's your reputation, and it's your bank account, and it's your service in church, and it's all the good things that you've done for how long you've done them. You're tempted to think that's what makes you right with God. So he says, no, no, stop. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things of the earth, not the stuff of the earth that you could actually produce, because you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Right? He is wrapping you with his identity. When Christ was your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Notice this, he says, in the past you have died. It's past tense, verse three. And actually Christ now is in you. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. So you have a have, an is, and a will. Your past is covered. Your life now is hidden with Christ and you will be covered as you appear with him in glory. So whatever haunts you from the past, Wherever you feel stuck right now, whatever you're anxious about for the future, stopping and resting your identity in Jesus is the beginning place of change and transformation. It's not you trying harder and doing more. It's you stopping and resting in what Christ has done, the way he has spoken to you, how he actually has, has moved towards you and remembering that. Right? So we gather on Sundays to remind each other of what Christ has done. We are a terribly forgetful people. You'll leave here and you won't remember very much of what I said. There's lots of reasons for that. But there's things where you hear stuff and you just kind of forget it. You've heard things. You've heard, I don't know, thousands of sermons? And yet as a forgetful people, in the moment where you feel faced with temptation, whether to lash out or to, to indulge or to actually do the things that he's going to talk about in the next paragraph, you're so tempted to take that bait of temptation because we really are a forgetful people. And we've practiced things for so long. So, so he roots this identity and he says, all right, this is what you're supposed to do. Root your identity in Christ. He offers us freedom and capacity to be honest because of what Christ has done so that we can move towards healing and repentance and redemption and restoration. So it takes us to verse five. So he says, put to death, therefore. All right, so now we have action. Hey, believe, faith, trust. Your salvation is by faith alone and Christ alone, by grace alone. And it's real. It does something. It actually changes. There's something that you participate with, right? So he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality and impurity and passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. It's you worshiping other gods when you covet and when you're impure and when you have evil desires, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. This is not just like an idea that's random. This is pretty intense. The wrath of God comes because people pursue other gods. And these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Listen to this list. Anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Seeing that you've put off the old self, reminding them of their identity. You've taken off the old self already with its practices. Now put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And then he just says, this is for everybody. Religious background, non-religious background, married, single, widowed, divorced, young, old. Here there is not Greek or Jew, churched, unchurched, Kansas, Missouri, wealthy, poor, white, black, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. So what he does in this moment is he roots our identity firmly on Jesus and then he says, because of that, you have the invitation to be honest about things that have haunted you your entire life. Catch this reality. He's writing to Christians. This is not an evangelistic sermon for those out there. This is written to the church in Colossae, right? He's writing to Christians, telling them, put to death these things, which means they need to put those things to death, which means they are struggling with that. Whew. Gives us permission to be honest where we struggle. 
The Bible is brutally honest. Do you ever notice in the stories of our heroes? I mean, you have a pretty gnarly list of things that our forefathers have done. Not just in our country, but in the, in the scriptures, right? So you just go all the way back to Adam and Eve. That was pretty bad. Their kids, we got some murder happening. You fast forward to Abraham, you got sex trafficking his wife. That's a pretty intense one. You got Jacob the liar, the deceiver. You got Moses who's a murderer. David's an adulterer and a murderer. And you get all the way to the New Testament, you got Peter. You just got this mess of a cast of characters. Why is that? Oh, it's because transformation is real. And we're being freed from the darkness and brought into the light. And God is telling stories of people just like you and me. So when you read those stories, you stop for a second and go, man, if God could save David and even calm a man after his own heart, after all that he's done, then maybe there's hope for me and there's hope for my marriage. And maybe it's not marriage for you. Maybe you don't feel stuck in marriage. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a hidden addiction. Maybe it's something with your singleness and being a widow, being a widower, and you're struggling with bitterness and anger. Maybe it's with your grandkids. Maybe it's how you think about just the future and your security. You feel stuck in some places. And when you feel stuck, apart from Jesus, you start to do things to protect yourself. Right? These, this list of anger and wrath, malice and slander, if you're familiar with the Bible, it sounds like Galatians 5. The, the fruits of the flesh. And he'll go on to talk about the fruits of the spirit, right? which I think is a parallel to this text. And so this is like a garment illustration. He's saying put on and take off. And Galatians is an organic illustration saying these things actually grow inside of us. They grow in our hearts. So he's saying when you pursue the flesh, the things that are produced in you are anger and wrath and malice and slander. A lack of forgiveness. So just stop for a second. Those things are the evidence of building a life and an identity apart from God. I think that's what the flesh is. And before Jesus, that's your only option. You can only build your own identity. You can only make yourself safe. You can only build a reputation for yourself to make yourself righteous. Whatever you decide righteousness looks like, whether it's enough money or it's performing well enough or being invisible or marrying the right person, whatever you found righteousness in, you had some fruits for that. And when that thing is threatened, if it's just up to you, Gosh, you use anger. You've been in that moment, and you're sweet and kind 99% of the time, but someone pushes just the right button, and you flare up and are angry. And you are the kindest person, and yet if somebody crosses you and you start to feel insecure relationally, you'll move towards slander so you can garner someone else's attention and affection. You're, you're, you're great 80% of the time, but there's that addiction that when you feel overwhelmed, you move towards that substance or that behavior or that food or that person, and it soothes you for just a moment. The fruits of protecting the flesh, the scriptures say, will kill us. And he's writing to Christians again, friends, to invite us to confess. Christianity is about freedom. It's about being liberated from the darkness. It's about you being forgiven for your sins, whether you are eight or you are 80. And that's the good news of the gospel, that God's not done with us until the very end, right? That's Philippians 1, 6, that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And that means until he comes back or we go to the other side, he's still working in our hearts, which means we should always expect as a community to need to repent, We've been trained for a long time in certain directions to pursue life in the flesh. And some of that's Christian in its behavior. It plays really well in the church. It's socially acceptable, but it's still damaging to our souls. I don't have to give you examples. You just watch it, right? Business meetings, small groups, Sunday school, friends who've left, friends that have come. You just watch the deeds of the flesh with Christian veneers on them, right? We can just, well, you're halfway, you can just, with a mask on, you can say, yes, I acknowledge these things actually take place. When they take place, what the Bible is doing is inviting you to freedom. 
When the Bible lists a, a list of sins like this, it's not to rank us and put us in order of who's good and who's bad, who's right, who's wrong. It's to invite you towards freedom. The church must talk about sin because to talk about sin is to talk about freedom from the penalty of sin so you can pursue the righteousness of Christ and you can actually live in freedom. So pastors should preach a robust enough gospel that you feel free to take off the things of the flesh that you've been finding your identity in and put on the things of Christ and step into the light where you could say, hey, I'm stuck in my marriage. Hey, my, my grandkids, it's, it's gotten really bad. Hey, I said some things to my my friend, to my, my brother, to my neighbor that I shouldn't have said. I've spent money this way. I've looked at these things. I've, I've cherished these things in my soul. And as refugees, our job is to come towards safety into a place where we can actually be established and be loved and be welcomed. So for pastors like this to kind of put in front of us and for this married couple in front of me to, to be given the permission to be honest about their brokenness is the pathway to freedom. But it's not just random confessing of sin. It's rooted in what Christ has done. Did you notice that in verse 5? He says, put to death, therefore. Therefore what? Because of what Christ has done, because it's identity rooted in Christ, from that space then put these things to death. So Christianity offers freedom, forgiveness of sins, the things that haunt us, that we've done to others and have been done to us, for us to actually pursue freedom in Christ. The church should celebrate that. The church should be a place where you can be honest. I have no idea kind of the long-term culture here. I have no idea, but I know my own heart and the temptation to hide. I know what it's like to try to build an identity and to have that threatened by somebody and for me to get defensive when they say I'm, I'm not perfect in every way. I know what that feels like. So if you're human like me, I can just imagine there's been some patterns and some habits that have happened over time. And oh, the good news that Christ loves you and welcomes you to himself so you can actually put your hope in him. I talked to a neighbor yesterday. And he would describe himself just as spiritual and actually said, I'm recovering from my childhood. And he described kind of an Irish Catholic background and gone to school. And he actually, at one point, he raised his fist and swing. He said, it was brutal, is what he said. I was like, dang, we're right here on the porch here at this moment. And what he said was, I always just felt guilty. And so I found a new way of relating to God on my own terms, he said. Because, man, I would love to hear more about that. I'd love to sit down together and just hear stories and, and talk to something. It might freak you out a little bit. I was like, hey, been a pastor a long time. You're not going to freak me out. I've heard lots of things. I promise you won't freak me out. Let's just sit down and let's talk. But when he did this, I thought, this guy heard a message that was God is after you being better. Stop messing up. Stop embarrassing everybody. Stop, stop doing all the stuff you do. Would you get your life together? And it actually crushed him. What my friend needed to hear was the gospel of Jesus to come and set him free, which of course is where he goes in the next section, right? So rooted in the in Christ then permission to step away from sin, to actually be a repentant people that acknowledge our brokenness, that we know that we've been forgiven so we can forgive others. So he says then, put on then, in verse 12, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. He reminds them of their identity. So there's two traps, right? One is a passivity trap. All right, Jesus does all the work. I trust him. Now I'm good. And we move towards passivity. But he says, put on these things, right? There's action that we take, right? The Bible is not disconnected from reality. It actually invites you now through the power of Christ to do what God's called you to do. This is Philippians 2, right? To work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because God who works in you both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. So you work it out as God's working it out inside of you, but it actually has this response, right? So he says, put on these things. So it's the trap of thinking about passivity. There is no transformation without personal responsibility, to be a community that loves each other enough to go, hey, man, that's out of bounds. That's not okay. That needs to be changed. It needs to be corrected. And you to welcome redemption. But there's another trap, one of moralism, thinking that, okay, all right, 
fine. I will do amazing. I will always do the right thing. I'm going to put everything on, put all the good stuff on. I'm going to prove myself. The other trap there is that kind of trap of identity or moralism. And he says, let me remind you who you are. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. He reminds them of their identity. He's only gone a couple of verses, right? How forgetful are we? He's only gone like five, six verses, and he stops. Oh, before we go any further, I'm going to talk now about obedience, about life in the Spirit. Just remember, you already have an identity in Christ. Right? We, we respond from an identity, not for an identity. The gospel sets us free to actually be loved and accepted and redeemed. So it says, put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience, and bear with one another. If one is a complaint against another, forgive each other. And Christ is the reference, right? As the Lord's forgiven you, right? Resting your identity in Christ, now you can do what Christ has done to you. You can forgive other people because you've already been forgiven. You must forgive, he says. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called. Right? This war of like what is ruling inside your heart. Let the peace of Christ reign and rule there. And be thankful And then he goes into these means of grace and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And then worship, sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Actually, four times in this passage we'll say, be thankful. So he says you can now put on the things of the Spirit because you're being freed from the things of the flesh as you rest your identity in Christ. And the church gathers again then to remind each other what Christ has done, to invite an honest freedom and to pursue together life in the Spirit so that we can actually look like our Savior came to free us. Jesus says, why do you say you love me and you don't do what I command, right? There's a a real change, and that's actually really good news. We're not putting a law on each other. We're not ranking each other. We're not putting a heavy burden on each other. We're calling towards freedom and saying, hey, it's a real kind of freedom. And where you used to only be able to do bitterness, now you can actually do kindness. And where you used to only be able to do slander, now you can actually do humility. You used to only be able to actually be, be unforgiving, now you can actually be patient with people because of what Christ is doing on the inside. So the church offers the people the hope of real transformation. That, that this whole thing we talk about every week, it actually has some meaning to it. It actually is real. It has some substance to it. It's not just stuff we do inside this room. And, and he's going to go on to say it changes our families. It changes our marriages. It changes how we do our vocations and our social structures. And it changes how we think about people on the outside. That's where we'll go next week. And the means of grace that he says, it's the word. It's worship. He'll say in, in uh, chapter 4, it's prayer. And there's this one anothering, right? This community, right? Those four means of grace we'll talk about next week are how we actually engage with God's plan for actually seeing this redemption take place. So that's where, that's where we'll go next week. But I want this week just to stop and say, man, that's what I think transformation is about. That's how I think Christ brings it about by his grace. And that's what I think a church should proclaim. And so the structures, the meetings, the small groups, the essential classes, the equipping, the counseling, the staffing that we hire, how we do events on the outside should all be rooted around this. Hey, is it helping people be transformed? Is it helping people actually be changed? Are, are we stepping towards freedom? Are we inviting people to trust Christ? Like that's what the church is supposed to be about. And the great news is that these means of grace are really old, is that we're not looking for new fancy strategies as a church. We're not trusting a new pastor to come or, or an old pastor who's, who's been here to kind of say, hey, could you come up with something innovative and new? Or are we going to ancient things about prayer and the word and community and worship, asking God to transform and change us in that space? I think that's what the church is about. And you gather on Sunday mornings to be reminded of that. You gather Wednesday night to pray and to share a meal to be reminded of that, to kind of ask, 
Would the grace of God shine on me in a new way where I could step away from these things that have been in the shadows? And that becomes really fun as a community. To see people actually transform. One of my greatest joys as a pastor is getting a front row seat to transformation in people's lives. To watch them go through this and actually move away from things that have been haunting them to pursuing something that actually would bring them life. It's beautiful to watch. And that's why he says be thankful because when you understand the grace of God, the resting place is thankfulness. Look with me in verse 17 and we'll land here. He says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, right? Reminding us about who Christ is giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Christ is the centerpiece, and our appropriate response is thankfulness, which is the word that we get Eucharist from. This passage is telling us a right response to who Christ is is to be thankful. That's why I think the church should take communion. And I think actually we should take it every week. We're actually going to take it next week as a response. I think you should in this moment now be going, what do I do from here? You should, from a space of thankfulness, trust Christ, and then you're free to ask, what do I need to step away from? What do I need to step toward? I can make an application from a grounded place, and you could hold in your hand a reminder of the broken body and shed blood of Christ to say, this is where my identity already rests. I'm already chosen. I'm already beloved. I'm already known. I'm already seen. I'm already forgiven. Let me receive that. Let me experience that. Let me remind myself of what Christ has done. And from that place now, I'd be able to get to move out towards change. And if you don't do that, you can think that change is for change's sake or change is for righteousness' sake, and that will actually kill a community. If we begin to pursue just righteousness for righteousness' sake, and then we begin to rank each other. What happened in my friend's marriage is they were holding things against each other. One of them loved more than the other one. One of them was kinder than the other one. One of them served more than the other one. They had lost the idea that Christ is the one who makes them okay, and because they're building their own identity, that you're just left with this competition that would actually destroy relationships. And so the antidote to that is thankfulness. It's remembering regularly the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf so that we can be free, so we can pursue what Christ has called us to, so we can actually ask him to change and transform us. Friends, that is always the hope, regardless of who your pastor is, regardless of what strategies the church is, how big or how small, whatever age you are, that is always your hope. And for the church to root their identity in those places and then to ask, how do we live this out together? I think is the task of the church to say, how do we actually participate in this together? Um, so let's just stop now. I want to give you a chance to respond. If the passage is saying, hey, be thankful, and I know you've been doing two columns, right? You're listening to the sermon and you're also ranking me. You've done like Pastor Bingo where you said, does that have very good stories? I didn't laugh very much or maybe I've laughed too much or gosh, he's talked about sin a lot or he didn't talk about sin enough. I know you played Pastor Bingo and I don't know if we got a bingo or not. I'm not sure how you did or how I did on the bingo card, but stop for a second. Set the evaluation aside. Listen to the fact that Christ died for you to set you free. And that's an invitation to freedom, to an honest expression at least to the Father this morning, at least to the Father who loves you, at least to the Son who died, at least to the Spirit who's inside of you if you're a Christian, to be honest about the places where you feel broken and torn, or where you've been stuck. Would you be honest about that and ask Christ to come and heal that? Would you turn from those things? And would you just ask, hey, what do I do instead? And so I often give an assignment when I walk through this passage with somebody, I say, would you just read it slowly? Ask, what do you need to remember about your identity in Christ? What, what difference would that make? What are the things of the flesh? You just ask God to name one thing that you're doing that actually if you turned away from it, it would bring about redemption instead of erosion in your life. And what would he call you to? What would it look like for you to pursue the gospel, lived out in practice through the power of the Spirit, motivated by grace from arrested identity? What would it look like for you to be kind, to be meek, to forgive? Where would God lead your heart? So we're going to sing a song. 
And I want you just to ask yourself that question. Ask the Spirit of God to speak to you, to help you apply. And would you make the first checkpoint thankfulness for what Christ has done? If you're a follower of Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I've been talking primarily to those people. I've been talking primarily to followers of Jesus. If you're not a follower of the Jesus in the room, the invitation to you is not do better and try harder, step away. It's actually to receive Christ. The same way that we would practice communion at taking Christ, the invitation to you is not take communion because communion is reserved for Christians. It's to actually take Jesus, to accept him, to pursue him, to let him forgive you, to say he is the king, he is the preeminent one, he's the one everything orbits around, and my sin has separated me from him, and he died in my place so that I could be forgiven and free so that I could actually move towards relationship. That's the invitation to you if you're not a follower of Christ. And so you could stand and sing, you could watch and sing, you could actually ask God to speak to you and And after the service is over, I'd love to share with you or any other pastor or leader in the room would love to talk with you about how you can accept Christ and what it means for you to start a relationship with him. And if God's stirring something else in you, let's talk about that too. Let's talk about where else you feel stuck and what else God might be doing. Let's let the community gather around you. But we'll start with a place of thankfulness. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're just going to sing one song and then we'll have our benediction and we'll go. But let me pray for you now in this space and then we will uh, respond. So Jesus, we say thank you for dying on the cross in our place. Thanks you gave us a new identity that you've chosen and freed those who are reconciled to you through your blood. Thanks that there's hope for real redemption and change. And you didn't just tell us to do more and try harder and do better. You actually set us free by your grace. Would you let that message rule and reign in this building and these people's hearts regardless of the future? And would you make us thankful from that, thankful enough to actually be honest and open about things that have haunted us, honest enough to be humble, to ask for help, or we need to change our patterns. Would you, from a place of thankfulness now, uh, be kind to my friends in the room, help them to respond to you. So Holy Spirit, come and speak. Take it even farther than this sermon has taken it. Would you press things down in our heart that are eternal? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us online. Leewood Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. For more information about us and our ministry, please visit us at www.leewoodbaptist.com.